0: everyone welcome to the Nerd Room we talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, DC and beyond. This is episode number 243, we're discussing The Mandalorian Chapter 9 and the Three Jokers comic book series. I'm your host, Tim. I'm Troy. I'm Carlos. And guys, we are here with one certainty. There may not be a whole bunch of certainties in the world right now, but there definitely is one. And that is a Thursday episode of the Nerd Room talking all things Star Wars, Marvel, DC and... Beyond. Guys, we are here to discuss in great detail The Mandalorian Chapter 9, the first episode of Season 2. We built into it last week with our prelude to this season, and man, did this episode land. What a banger. We've got some great Star Wars reveals in there. We've got some great Star Wars discussion to happen a little bit later on in the episode and we're also going to be covering the 3 Jokers comic series coming from DC's black label. This is a series that all three of us have read through and I'm going to just preempt this with we probably all really enjoyed it, I'm going to say. It'd be interesting to hear a little bit of the detailed discussion, but I thoroughly personally enjoyed it jumping in from the periphery of DC Comics and it sounds like the community overall has embraced this so we're going to break this down in a spoiler and a non-spoiler section so for those of you who have not read it you're going to have a little bit of a talk a little bit of us talking about what our overall thoughts are on the series without really spoiling anything and then we're going to jump into each individual book break it down in some detail and then talk about our overall opinions and thoughts of the three jokers now gentlemen welcome to the show like i said we're living in an incredibly uncertain world here. There's ups, there's downs, but you know what is constantly delivering? It's that world of nerddom. I've been having a blast this week on The Hunt, in the retro space, vintage space, continuing that until the end of the year. Comic book reading. Guys, it's been absolutely fantastic, and I can't wait to hear what you've been up to this weekend, Nerd. So Troy, man, kick us off this yeah. week. You know, I know Carlos has got some some things to talk about. I know you got a few things. And I'm looking forward to it. so let's hear it. Let's have it, man. Yeah. What have you been up
1: to this weekend, nerd? Uh well, hey, man. You know, when we when we recorded last week, you know, after recording, man, I crushed This Is Us. Season premiere. <laughs> oh, two hours long. <laughs> Glorious, man. Off so, the um, so let me let me tell you, my week was good already. And um <laughs> from there, man, I jumped into the books. Um I started off with X-Men extra sword stasis um really gained more into i'm not going to spoil anything but it's really gained more into the tournament of what's going on and um i'm digging it still it was kind of basically like a catch-up of what's been going on on the bad guide size the last like 11 issues or 10 issues we've been basically reading uh the mutants getting their swords this time is just a quick catch-up of what the uh, the villains have been up to so that was pretty cool um three jokers man i picked up my red hood cover and uh just smashed that book right away and well, we'll get into that one. But honestly, what stole the show for me, man, was um TMNT last Ronin. Like oh. wow. Was this ever good? The anticipation was real. I know this book's kind of been delayed a little bit, but um man, this was good. I'm not gonna give anything away, but it was so cool. I mean, we already know the premise basically is there's only one turtle left out of the four. And um it just it, it's really cool, man, because all these other books that we've we've read. You know, we're used to like, you know, Spiderman being the last guy alive, or you know, Batman uh, being the last dude alive. We're always used to these, these these tales of like the one hero left and everybody else has been killed, and we see it all the time, which doesn't really mean anything after all. But the turtles have always been the four; mm-hmm. they've always been around, and I mean, especially us these days, we're really into the turtles. So to be reading this book and this turtle isn't over the fact that his brothers have been killed. Feels right because I'm feeling the exact same way as this turtleism himself so it's kind of meta in that sense. And uh, and it's it, it's a sad book, man. And I just cannot wait to see where they're gonna go. And um, I just I strongly encourage everybody to go out there and pick up that book. I think it's like nine bucks, but it's it's totally worth it. It's yeah. totally worth it for the for the story that you get in there, man. And uh, it's cool. Well, I'm um, excited um, to get into it myself.
2: Whew. Sorry, yeah. what did you think of the format, man?
1: Oh, um, Cause it was like the different size book, right? Oh, the book itself. Yeah, you know, it, it doesn't really bother me. I know, like, with the Black Label, the Superman Year One, Frank Miller, I know that was, like, a weird size, too. And it's, um, I just kind of come to the point with those things, I just put them in my trade paperbacks. Like, I would normally like to board and bag my books, but when they're in these weird kind of, like, sizes, mm-hmm. I'll just throw them in with their trades. Like, same with Three Jokers. Like, Three Jokers was, like, kind of, like, bigger but thin. And so when I get the three books I stack them together and put them alongside with my trade so they're all standing but it is kind of weird because it's like that magazine kind of sizing right where you have to I know another dimension's pretty good with having like the boards and bags for those ones in town but um it is it is a little annoying I wish they'd just kind of go all in and just make them like either like an actual trade size or just I don't know like make them into like the actual comic book size it's it's weird yeah cuz I just looked at
2: it from afar Isn't it like in between like the big treasury book and like a normal size
1: book? I felt like it was more like the three Jokers book, maybe a bit thinner. I felt like it was just like that one, maybe a bit thinner. But again, maybe because I didn't even bother trying to like bag it. So I was just like kind of eyeballed it and knew what I was going to do with it. But I have seen discussions like that online. People are kind of like, hey, like, what's up with this format? I think this book, especially once it's done, is going to be phenomenal in its entirety as like one big, thick trade paperback. It's, it's going to be a masterpiece to read. So, um, Treasury, boards, man, I can hook you up with if you want. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. That's cool, man. No, I appreciate that. But I strongly recommend everyone out there, go and get that book tomorrow or when you're listening to this.
0: I know that so uh, Grabs hit me up in the DM and he said that yeah. Comixology was having a sale on Turtles. That's I don't great. know if that's extended through to this, but um, if you're looking to go back, and you know, I know we've talked about kind of those, you know, triple-digit hundred issues of turtles and kind of jumping on from there, you know, yeah. having that comics comicsology sale makes that really digestible digitally as well.
1: Definitely, definitely, and, and the cool thing is too, like with this run, like it feels like it could take place in the universe of like the original run back in like the late Waited. '80s, or the TMT that we're currently reading, or even the ones before that. Like it feels like basically everybody's with the turtles so you can just jump right into this book mm-hmm. and you're, you're you're good to go so yeah awesome. um shoot uh figures man i i got i got a lot of figures um eb called me and i picked up the um darth nihilus from mm-hmm. the um knights of the Old republic part two such a cool design for that character he basically looks like like the scream villain from way back in the day but way more like horrifying so um <laughs> that's a that's a cool one and you know what man um Talking to Darth Groody, I'd be talking to you guys back and forth, like I'm trying to cut down my black series. I'm trying to just focus in more. So here I am thinking I'm totally done with that Rebels line because I'm just gonna get like the one Ahsoka and I'm good and the one Ezra. But then I saw beam in the wild and I was just like, wow, like what an upgrade she is. So yeah, I did you see to it at think... Marty's? <laughs> Sorry, Marty's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I yeah. saw her Sorry, too. There. I
0: had it in my hand.
1: <laughs> she looks so good. I was like, I, yeah. I got to pick her up. Like, and I brought her home and I looked at the original and like, it's night and day difference. You know, the face at least. So, um, I basically don't know what I'm going to do with like the red card backs, but for like the new designs, I'm gonna, I'm definitely going in for that whole rebels line. I think. So, um, picked her up. Uh, picked up a because I ordered her off of EB Games. So that's another one that came through. And I got the Vader already. I think I mentioned before. And um, a weird hunt that I got today. Um, it's totally random, it was a Master Chief from the Halo franchise, Spartan 117, and uh, I don't know who created this thing but it looks really cool, it's like a 7 inch scale figure, and I was telling it. Carlos, I'm like, man, I need this thing, because it's just going to look kind of cool with like the spawn and whatnot I have him behind me, uh, posted up next to my Xbox, because it just Sweet. goes hand to hand so I picked him up and I grabbed um, two clone troopers from my dude, Carlos, Carlos hit me up man, and he's like, hey there's two blue captain clone troopers sitting at EB games. They're all yours, basically. So um I called the person right away and I was like, hey, can I put a, put put one of the figures on hold at least or two figures? And the person's like, well, no, we don't normally do that. You can put one on hold. And if the other one's here tomorrow, it's all yours. So I was like, okay, cool. So I show up there, grab the one figure off uh off the rack, and then I told um basically the sales rep, like, hey, I got an order on hold he's like okay man well normally i don't do this but i'll give you both of them and in my head i'm like what do you mean you don't normally do this like it's, it's two figures <laughs> like i'm not buying like a whole box set here it's, it's, it's two clone troopers it's troop know? builders as well it's exactly <laughs> yeah so this guy was giving me the whole rundown and i'm like man like you, you don't really need to preach to me about this whole thing like i'm you know not who that you guy. are
0: you know this is craven the hunter in your <laughs> store right now
1: i know <laughs> yeah man yeah so uh it, it was crazy it's crazy but um yeah, that was, that was really it. I think that capped off my week um, in Nerd. It's just For me, man, it's just the highlight, I guess, too, is, is Mando, which we'll get into. But oh. it's, that, it's that last Ronin, man. I can't get that book out of my head. I told Grabs it's the best book I've read coming off of Saga because Saga for me has been so much fun. Um, but Turtles, I, just, I didn't know what to expect with it, and it was, it was, it was a blast, dude. Just a blast. Man, I I love the
0: diversity in your week there. It's figures, comics, everything, man. You've (laughs) kind of, you hit like every single, like Marvel, DC, you know, the beyond aspect of the Nerd Room, the Turtles. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely love it, man. Well, Carlos, man, you've been a busy guy down in the Batcave.
2: Yeah, man. So this week in Nerd For Me, just like James Tinian's run on Batman is all about building a better Batman. My week is all about building a better Batcave, so taking some cues from our man, Tim there with the, uh, steampunk iron shelves. I decided to, uh, start an endeavor myself. So I had to enlist my father-in-law. He's a bit of a master carpenter and, um, honestly, like no construction projects around here are ever trusted without his touch. But, uh, we'll see about that touch in a second. So, um, you know, our weeks and nerd, they're always positive stories and like wonderful tales of going on the hunt. But, uh, this one might not be as positive, so, but I'll share nonetheless. There's always a little bit of shied and fruit out there. I imagine there's one or two listeners out there rage listening to us, but uh, yeah, this one's for you. So, as <laughs> Tim Tim is well seen in my chronicling, I've been working on these shelves like diligently sending my updates to the to the tenured master there and getting his approvals for my redesigns and everything else. So, uh, the big day came on Monday. And father-in-law says, well, I think you're like all done with everything. And yeah, I think I'm done too. So he's like, yeah, let's let's put these things up. So I had it all planned out. So basically, I built these big metal iron ladders. And I did these long 10-foot stained shelves. And I had them all kind of stacked at an angle. And the plan was, it's like, you just hold on to the three ladders. I'll slide all the big 10-footers in. And then I will come, we'll move it against the wall. And then... I will separate out the shelves on the studs that I've marked, zip in a screw off we go. Right. Bob's your uncle. (laughs) So he's kind of good with it. And, and we're doing this, but I don't know if he just like, wasn't trusting the fact that he wasn't in the mentor role this time or what's going on, but I'm putting in the last 10 foot board and he just like, I, I don't know what happened, but one of these ladders comes flying towards me and, uh, like, man, my I love him with all my heart, but that homeboy, he never did learn to mind his surroundings. So this thing comes flying at me, knocks the one out of my hand, hits the hot toy shelf. <gasps> no! No! <gasps> all the hot toys <gasps> flying, except for Bane and, and Bale Bats. Those are the only two standing there, right? Like I'm no. about to cry, Bat- man. <laughs> Bat Pod goes down all the figs go down my wife comes flying and she just looks at me and she she said she's like i just want to cry for you i was like it's okay let's just let's just get this thing in place and get it tacked up and off we go and it's funny like right away the first reaction from her and my daughter they're like oh well if if anything's broken like troy can fix it (laughs)
1: Like,
2: (laughs) like really that's the first thing out of your mouth i was like Troy coming up with anything collectibles for the hunt or needing fixing, it's like Idris Elba getting fan cast. It's just like an automatic in this place. So I was just like, let, let me just get these shelves up. Let me get everything placed and and off we go. So we get them up. They're looking cool. And uh, I have to run to Home Depot to buy a few last uh, last drips and drabs for the shelf there and um so i run out and it's super close to my house i come back and my wife has all the hot toys on a little table all of them made it through no problems every single one of them unscathed every piece accounted for beauty only that took a bit of a knock was the bat pod just the Bit of Gorilla glue and a couple of elastics got me sorted out. And, nice. and I didn't have to enlist the master customizer there to bail
0: me out. <laughs> Don't worry. I love that. Don't worry. Troy will fix. <laughs> and that, like,
2: man, it was like the very first thing. Like the first thing my wife said, said as is. soon as we had a minute alone. And then the very first thing my daughter said when we told her what happened is, "What Troy?" Oh, man. I was like, yeah, where you guys Troy can fix everything. It's like, hey, this super rare item I want is coming out uh can you ask Troy to get it for me i was like yo know, i was in this game when that guy was still in elementary school <laughs> but fine I, oh I man but uh yeah man like it was a tense moment there it, it was a moment that showed my maturity because i didn't like lose it didn't get mad at uh at my father-in-law but like I, Like, I told my wife, I was like, I don't know what was with him today, but of all the days, it's like, dude, this is the fumbly day. This is the day that you, like I said, didn't learn to mind your surroundings. (laughs) Because he is a master carpenter, but it's just he comes down here. I don't know what it is. "Ah! These
0: are just just dolls, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, kind of.
2: It's it's the weirdest thing. He's awesome though. Like I, I love him. It's uh... and it was <laughs> well, kind of neat. Like in the uh, in retrospective, it's like it was a cool kind of family bonding experience to this whole thing. And like my youngest daughter came home, and like the first thing she does is she dives into her Halloween candy stash and pulls out like my favorites and just kind of hands them over to me as, as though to have a bit of a bomb. And uh, yeah, it was just it, it ended up like. If you look at it from a higher perspective than just kind of the sweet plastic, I was like, yeah, it was kind of a, a blessing in the skies kind of
1: thing. So,
0: But oh, what a roller coaster story yeah. that was, man. I was yeah. here. I was there. I was crying, wow. gasping. Oh,
1: man. <laughs> that was crazy, man. My heart couldn't take that. I'm so glad no. to hear everything turned out good, yeah. though, man. Jeez. Yeah, man. I, uh, wow.
2: I, it, that was a long trip to Home Depot. And, and like, it must have been all over my face because I, like, I had to return, like, a few extra fittings that I had. And the kid that did the returns, he's, like, kind of says, yeah, it's all done. And he hands me my receipts back. He's, like, hey, man, have a better day, okay? Whoa. <laughs> was like, that's awesome. I kind of, like, checked my face to make sure I wasn't crying or something <laughs> like that.
0: <laughs> Sitting there weeping in Home Depot over my toys. Yeah, like- yeah he must <laughs> see a lot of... Uh, uh, DIYers coming in with just long faces. i got to buy this again because I messed it up. (laughs) No doubt. No doubt. But you know what? I
2: I can't finish this in light of Idris Elba being on the mics here without telling this part of the story. So I did enlist my man, Troy the boy, to help me out with finding um, Mattel did... The special edition Monster High dolls. And my oldest daughter loved Monster High growing up and um, is now a huge horror fan. And, like, her favorite horror movies are the It movies, and now she's really into The Shining. And Mattel, kind of like with Haslabs, they have Mattel Creator, I think, is their version of it. But they did a Monster High doll, and it's like a female version of Pennywise. And then they did Monster High versions of the Grady Twins. So I was on the ball with this thing. Like, I knew they were coming out. I was like, yeah, they dropped the whatever Friday it was. And I I was loaded. I used all my tactics for, like, the Mondo drops and everything else. And, man, these things were gone, like, in seconds. And, like, checking the Twitter feed and stuff like that seemed like nobody got them. So I kind of put the bug in Troy's ear, and he's like, yeah, man, I'll get on it. And, uh, man, bless his soul. Like, he is out there on the hunt in his work gear, going through those <laughs> girls' aisles at Toys R Us. And uh, he's like, yeah, you know, not nothing here, but he had obtained a skew. I didn't even think to do this. Obtains a skew, and then finds a listing on Toys R Us's website. But they're not live or anything like that. And uh, just... Throughout the next couple of days, kind of like I did with those McFarlane's, I ended up yeah. visiting back. And lo and behold, I was able to put in an order for both sets of dolls. And uh, it just sat as a pre-authorized payment on my PayPal forever. But today, all thanks oh. to Craven the Hunter. <laughs> and the reason that my family like worships at this guy's altar, <laughs> I guess your items have been
0: shipped notification from
1: uh, Toys R Us. Yeah. Dope. Oh, yeah. Man. It's, it's
0: that is... Good, man awesome craven comes through again
2: i know like most dudes when troy's coming around their wife they have to be worried for other reasons but for me it's like you're, you're taking my collecting mojo away <laughs> <laughs> oh man i love it so much oh, <laughs> oh but dude i can't thank you enough like these no things worry. are amazing and yeah. then like yeah troy and i were dming back and forth just earlier today and i checked some just for a giggle like i was like ah, i don't know if she wants both of them but Maybe I can throw it up on eBay. And the price that these things are selling for right now is insane. Like there was a Pennywise that went for, it was knocking on 500 bucks. Whoa. Holy <laughs> yeah. man. Yeah. So yeah, I, uh, who knows? Maybe I'll just keep them both, check them on eBay and buy myself some more hot toys.
1: There you go. They a new bat pod. What's, what's the scale of these things? How, how tall are they?
2: Uh, I think they're like an 18-inch type doll. Oh,
1: yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, they're cool, man. Like, I remember when you showed me the pictures, I was like, whoa, that's yeah. pretty neat. Yeah. They're neat. And, like, even the original
2: dolls, like, the concept was that they were, like, the kids of the Universal Monsters kind of thing. And they're just going to high school and stuff. But uh, guaranteed, when my oldest gets to be kind of our age, this will be her version of Tim with the Ghostbusters. And, yeah. the and stuff. Like, cool. If she gets that collecting bug, that'll be the line that she goes after
0: cool
2: if i don't sell them on ebay she'll have these two (laughs) coveted ones to
0: just keep them forever and when she comes back to visit she can dig them out of a bin (laughs) yeah
2: that's right (laughs) it's in the m37 tupperware (laughs) (laughs)
0: that that is amazing oh man like i said what what a story what a what a week you guys had there and you know, I gotta get, shout out to Troy, man. I, I love the Craven the Hunter, and I love yeah, the uh, the Bat Fam worshiping. <laughs> that made my week. That story, <laughs> man. I just like right away, right away. <laughs> assume
2: everything is broken, and assume Troy can fix it.
0: Done. <laughs> he's got it. has got like I can see him like the tinkerer, right? The in, in those workshops in the basement. Yeah, man.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, that attic can trade. I guess. Yeah, you, you do. do. Fix everything yeah. Amazing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right well i'll wrap us up here for this week guys it's uh it's been a cool week you know grabs dm me early on and he is and you know i love this guy so much he said i've been keeping an eye out since he said on the pod about sale for turtle comics on comicsology so he hit me up and said sales on i went on and i bought a whole bunch of comics for turtles so i'm gonna do a run i've got this plan formulated in my head i've got a lot going on at home but as of november 30th all that stops and it reshifts to a pure month of Focusing on creative activities, reading, digesting—you know—the boys and all that. Because it's December is like my month off of life. You know, it's it's about family, it's about friends, and it's about you know doing the nerd thing. And so I'm kind of amalgamating all these books that I want to read and spend a week in each franchise, um, in the month of December. And so like a week in Star Wars, a week in Marvel, a week doing the turtle stuff. And so I I stocked up on all the turtle things or comics there. So big shout out to Grabs. And that was really kind of just the start of my turtle week because, you know, like my hunt has evolved into, it's about the retro, the vintage toys. And this week, I didn't even get out to do much of it. Uh, It was on my dad. Uh, I get a package arrived in the mail from me that's got some Halloween stuff in it for the girls. But lo and behold, in it is a big bag of retro turtle figures. And like I said, like I've chronicled throughout here, you know, my parents have been really into the ghostbuster and turtle hunt because they get it. They can relate to it. It's, it's a kind of the nostalgia piece that we've been connecting through throughout the pandemic. And he sent me about 10 figures like rat King. And we've oh. got like, um, Casey Jones, Ace, duck, samurai, Leo, all these great figures. And the coolest thing, there's only one duplicate in there that I had. And I'm just so grateful that, you know, he's out there ordering them off eBay or Kijiji in his area and that he's participating. And then he sends me, I'm like, Oh, thanking him so much for everything. He's like, yeah, send me a list. He's like, I'm not as up to date as I was 30 years ago on all this. And Mm -hmm. now that I've got about, I must be pushing about 40 figures now, 35, 40, incredible. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's, it's about, you know, kind of, the refocusing to what I need and also looking for like weapons lots. I need to, to fill out some weapons on some of these figs. And so that's kind of be my next focus. Now that I've got the majority except for the foot soldier, which I might grab up at snap before the end of the year. But yeah, it's been so cool grabbing more and more turtles here and filling out that, you know, ghostbuster week last week, big turtle week this week. And then uh, funny enough, my wife comes home the other day, my wife and daughter, they're out getting their flu shots and they come home and say we got a surprise for you, and so I'm like, okay, what well, like what do you got? And so they they came home with like a two foot marshmallow man from Shoppers. It was meant to be what? like, yeah, it was meant to be like it's all like kind of like stuffed, so it's pretty soft. It's meant to be like a Halloween decoration, like it stands by your front door or something, and and so it comes into the house and like they show it to me and they're like, oh, we got it for like half off, it was like twenty bucks or whatever. And I've got it down here in the nerd room. It scales really nice with the fire hall. That's amazing. My my youngest, it's bigger than my youngest. And at first she was terrified of it. And then by the end of the night, she's in like doing running tackles on it and all this. And every time she comes in here, she goes and pulls it out from beside the fire hall. And like, no, 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 don't. Just be careful around the vintage stuff. And and then I went into shoppers too. And they had all their Funkos, their Halloween Funkos were 50% off. And I grabbed the... 35th anniversary Slimer. Uh, it's just oh, a nice cool. accent piece. Um, it's, he's stuffing his face with hot dogs, like from the movie. And, uh, so I, I like getting the Funkos now, not as major collection pieces, but as accent pieces to mm. a broader collection, just something sitting in there, acknowledging something kind of cool. And, uh, and yeah, so it's, it's been another turtle and Ghostbuster week for me. And, and I'm just loving it. And then on top of that, it was finishing off the three Jokers, which we're going to get into here in just a minute, guys. It, uh, it was all about uh, all about the Joker this week, man. And I'm, I'm loving these books and I, and I can't wait to talk to them. And I got one of the Kijiji hunt. I'm going to talk about it next week though. I'm going to save it because I don't have it in hand yet. And once I get it in hand, it's another great Kijiji vintage toy find, um, one that we have talked about and I have talked about on here before, but I've, uh, I've secured it with a cost and I've made the guy promise he wouldn't sell it from underneath me, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> which has happened before. So I'm picking it up Friday. So, hopefully, fingers crossed, I can get that, and I'll talk about that next week. So, again, you know, guys, the thing I love about going through our weeks in Nerd, I say this almost every week, it's everyone's had kind of this great, positive, you know, spin on nerddom, diversity of nerddom, and and we're all bringing it to the table here, and guys. And, and you know what? I'm going to throw it out there to the Twitter gang, to everyone out there, that uh, use the hashtag WeTheNerd this week. I would love to hear, and we would love to hear what you guys did this week in Nerd. You know, let, let's maybe start doing this a little bit more where you guys are sharing what you guys are getting even append it to the pinned tweet on the NerdRM Twitter feed just throw in your week in Nerd what did you pick up whether it's comics, collecting, doesn't matter um, what have you picked up that's kind of brought a smile to your face in the same way that we're laughing and joking here I'd love, love to hear what you guys are picking up and maybe we can start a little bit of a weekly trend there um, just picking up on uh, what everyone else is doing in Nerd throughout the weeks here, especially as we go into this long winter and into the holiday season here, guys. But uh, let's let's jump over. Let's jump into it. I mentioned the three jokers here. Uh, I know, Carlos, you mentioned it last week. You you got through the book kind of day of, and Troy and I picked it up later on the week. Let, let's talk about this, guys. You know, comic book review here. We're going to start off with a spoiler-free discussion on it for those that haven't read it. We're going to talk about our high-level thoughts and, and more or less pitch and sell the idea or concept of this three-issue mini-series coming from DC's Black Label. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. The, the imprint intends to be kind of a somewhat of a standalone for mature audiences. Correct?
2: Yeah, it is definitely meant to be a, a bit of a, an access point for folks like you that yeah. aren't necessarily collecting the mainline books, but at the same time, with things like uh, Last Night on Earth, they can draw off the things that have happened in the main titles mm-hmm. if they want to or previous events or sometimes they don't kind of thing. So yeah, um, more yeah. often than not, they're standalone, but
0: yeah. yeah I, I personally saw this as as a nice entryway into a story that was relatively contained. I do have a little bit of backing in, in some of the Joker stories that did feed into this a little bit. But for the most part, I'm coming from like the Marvel end of things from the periphery of this and and I have to say, guys, like I thoroughly enjoyed this series. It kind of doesn't waste any time getting into the bulk of the story, the meat of the story here. And we'll get into it in the detail section, but it kind of serves as somewhat of an origin story, or at least a story of origin in the Joker. But I also found it to be a great Jason Todd and Barbara Gordon story you, it really explored a lot. Of them like Batman's there. But I find that there's a lot more focus on Barbara Gordon and Jason Todd in this than it is the Batman. Like the Batman does have a piece to play towards the end of the series. But having more exposure to those two other characters, I found that very like enlightening for me as someone that doesn't dive too deep into the DC side of things. And I really enjoy that aspect of it. And overall, for me, I would highly recommend, no matter if you're a pure Marvel reader or – image whatever to jump into this like you can probably like it's about this you'd be into about i think about 20 or so bucks to pick this up maybe a little bit more very much worth it these are like the prestige formats. the art is brilliant and this comes from you from jeff johns jason fayback and Brett uh brad anderson the art unreal in this thing and the story is crisp and i would say book two is probably my favorite um and we'll get into the reasons why but uh, thoroughly enjoy this, guys. You know, and our, our boys over at Straight to Gotham, let's go, and all these guys, they they review this in great detail too. And I know these guys are coming at this with uh, uh, with some like real favorable comments towards what they put together in this book here. So, Carlos, man, like, what are your thoughts? High level thoughts, spoiler free thoughts on the three Jokers books here.
2: Man, this is one of those that's going to be in the pantheon of when people approach me and say. Hey, I want to. What's a great Batman story for me to read? It's going to be shoulder to shoulder with things as a recommendation with the likes of like a hush or a long Halloween or a killing joke. It is an all time great story that we saw published firsthand and got to share in this experience. Like, I think this is like I've been reading Batman and Joker stories for a long time. And this is definitely one of, if not the best of all of them. And like, man, that third issue, there was a few times that I stopped and I'm like, I'm not like emotional guy, but there was a few times with like them really hammering what Batman is all about. Mm -hmm. And those beautiful core character traits with him. Uh, that often get forgotten. And, uh, man, Jeff Johns did an amazing job capturing this. And like you said, Jason Fabox art is Ooh. out of this world. Like, there, there is not a panel that is wasted. Every single panel of this book has immense detail and a ton of emotion and is wonderful to look at. And, yeah, like, it's one of those rare comic books where you could read the whole thing and start back in page one and go through it all over again in the same sitting it's yeah like you said I can't recommend this one enough it it is great yeah it is great and accessible to anybody
0: yeah it really really is and I've read it actually twice through like just just to your point there Carlos that's I read book one two and then three and then I went back and kind of read it almost as a trade Nice. and it, it really really reads well in that way too kind of picking out there because i think blasting through it the first time i did have some like just because i don't have the, the, the deep and dense background some issue kind of trying to pick out the exact joker and all that in panel to panel but that second read through and that total read through man like even though they look really similar just the way the subtleties of how they're drawn and the subtleties of how they're written you can really tell the difference between what's going on in each individual joker here um, and that's not giving you much away. That's it's called Three Jokers, so <laughs> <laughs> No, now Troy, man, what are yeah, your what are your high level thoughts on this one on on Three Jokers?
1: I love this book, man. I love this book. Um I've I've been interested in this book for quite some time. Um I think I was first introduced to Fabook since um Dark Side War, New 52 yeah. Justice League, and um that book is beautiful. Um it's one of my favorite Justice League's books, but I'm not as in deep with Justice League as uh, Carlos or Sonny Boy, but um, I loved Fabric since then, and um, in that plot line, that story, we do get a hint of Batman really digging into who's Joker, and uh, for us to wait, uh, shoot, that must have, when was that book, like 2017? Yeah, it was like... it's a long time ago. Yeah, Yeah, so this tease has been for a while, and um, for this book to finally come out, and in my opinion, not disappoint, um, the first issue, I was like, cool, I like where we're going here, Um, I did not see it being a Bat Family book, let alone Jason Todd or Barbara Gordon. Mm -hmm. I thought this could be very well Batman on the Joker or the three Jokers. Um, Jason Todd's dope, man. I really do like Jason Todd. Obviously, I'm a Nightwing guy, but I was so glad to see how they treated jason todd throughout this book from the design of his costume it's it's one of my favorite designs and he's had a lot of different designs this costume looked awesome i loved his character throughout the book and i loved barbara gordon in this book mm-hmm. i like she's uh, the rela- she's great i like the relationships they establish um they 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 do little things differently than most batman mythos and i gotta say by book three i was really liked what they did with uh the relationships through for the for the three characters there, uh Batman, um, Jason and Barbara. So um, no man, this book was great. I think everybody has their own kind of interpretation of Joker. And um I think they hit them, all three of them here. And uh it was just is it's just such a cool idea of what they did. And I just love how they handled it, man. There's so many things that like the highs and lows, but it's all been treated so carefully. It's it's just a great book. I think, I think it was Carlos, um, book three was my number one. I, I loved how they just closed out and then, ah, it was, it was great. Fantastic book. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think each one delivers individually. I think on each of the three characters that they do focus, focus in on the heroes. And then each Mm -hmm. book is also has a, a little bit of a focal point around each one of the jokers as well. Yeah, uh, which is which definitely. is really really cool. Definitely. So there you go, guys. That's a spoiler free discussion. That is three recommends coming off here for three jokers. And guys, it's an it's a it's a good read. It's something you can pick up and consume the whole thing in one sitting, no problem. All three books are at right now. So make sure to go get on that and then come back here because we're gonna be doing a spoiler review or spoiler discussion of three jokers, jumping into right now. So you've been warned if you haven't read it and you don't want it spoiled. We're about to move into the spoiler discussion right now. All right, guys, let's talk about this. The Criminal, the Clown, and the Comedian. We've got three books to, to talk about here and get through. So let's let's talk about book one. We'll start with book one here, kind of the intro into all of this. And, you know, for me coming at this, I, I agree, Troy, like what you said before is I didn't realize that this was going to be a Bat Family book. I thought it was going to be quite Batman Joker centric, but they really kind of dive into a bit of the history of each of the individual characters in Barbara Gordon, Jason Todd and Bruce Wayne and their history with the Joker. And then we get introduced to these three iterations of the Joker, the criminal, the clown and the comedian who again, not having the depth and breadth of, of DC comics and and Joker lore. I felt that I understood who each one of these were supposed to be and kind of where they came from in the history of, of DC and the history of, of Joker. And, I I just love this concept and idea of of the, the emergence of the Jokers and the idea of making a better Joker. You know, reading through my second time, I didn't really quite catch the criminal saying, you know, we always want to make a better Joker in issue one. And that really comes to play later on in book three. You know, it wasn't until my second read through that I caught that. But it really struck me at how the seeds were kind of sowed early on in book one and how much it matters for what's going on later on. And you pick up so many subtleties, I think, in a second read through that I didn't quite get. You know, it was, for me, it was about kind of consuming the story and trying to get an idea of what was going on rather than appreciating what was going on in the book and in the panels on my first read through here. So so Carlos, let's, let's pick up some points here from, from book one that you felt were highlights. And then we can jump into the story a bit more about the idea of the broken Jason Todd and really what we get to at the end of this. Because this thing really moves, this story, right? They don't waste any time you know, jumping into the deep end and getting into the meat of the story here, right? Book one isn't about introducing and, and building something. It is about running with the concepts that they're really trying to pull on here. With these three jokers.
2: Yeah. And like you said. I didn't know quite what to expect. uh, Going into the book. And like they certainly had planted the seed of like. The concept of a three jokers. With that previous new 52 event. For the dark side war. And so I kind of expected it to be something. um, More supernatural. Or uh, fantastical. Than what. book ended up being so i just love that right away you jump into this grounded gritty gotham city uh story in which they're investigating dead bodies kind of thing Mm. and it's like oh okay this is this is going to be a batman batman proper event and it's not going to be dr manhattan caused there to be three jokers in (laughs) in gotham city this is Mm. there's something else going on so i i appreciated that right away and then like once you read all three, I love how each issue focused on one of the main characters, Barbara being the the focal point of the first issue, and just kind of what her unique perspective brings uh, to the series. And she was a great character to bring in because the whole series is ultimately about trauma and dealing with trauma. And that she's probably the person that dealt with it the best, but yet had arguably the worst ride out of everybody. Like Jason was supposed to be dead, but like for her, like what she went through was horrific and she was kind of left to pick up the pieces. And I'd argue that transforming herself into Oracle, she became a better hero than she was as Batgirl kind of thing. So to have kind of your strongest character lead that book and be your gateway into this mystery, I thought was a pretty inspired choice. Mm -hmm. And uh, by the end of that first issue, I was totally in love with the fact that this was going to be a quote-unquote grounded story within Gotham because right away it made it a mystery because you knew that there wasn't going to likely be some kind of fantastical explanation as to what was happening and it wasn't going to be magic and it wasn't going to be some multiverse cosmic entity thing there was something going on and everything would be changed by the time you got to that third book type of thing so yeah i thought they did an admirable job like getting the reader in and invested right away
0: yeah, it's I like your point there, too, that this isn't about the multiverse and a, a tear in the multiverse. And you've you're pulling these jokers from these different stories, the killing joke, right? He's not stepping out of that. You know, he's, he's meant to reflect that, but it's not like in continuity with that. And you're having this this weird crossover event, the multiverse type thing. You know, we've talked a lot about the multiverse and that is an easy way to do this. But I find the sort of the crafted here is way more engaging.
2: Yeah, 100 percent. 100% because, yeah, like you said, there is a very easy way to do this,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? And the, the sloppy version is like, yeah, this multiverse stone brought three Jokers together. And then in the third <laughs> issue, Batman touches the same stone and the yeah. two other Batmans come out to help him take down the three yeah. Jokers, right? Like, yeah, that's uh, that, that was cool in the Silver Age. But uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I'm happy we got something a lot more refined with this.
0: yeah for sure and using like you said barbara gordon as the anchor like i find yeah she does get quite a bit of focus in book one but she's the anchor through the series like more so than jason todd and more so than even batman right um they each go through like you said dealing with that trauma but she seems to be the one that constantly is pulling them down and grounding them and and i really like barbara gordon to me is one of the standouts in this book yeah, 100%.
2: Well, like, the book hits, like, the journey for the family hits that point in time where Bruce is basically like, I can't deal with Jason, and it's Barbara yeah, yeah. that kind of holds him in check and keeps everybody moving towards the end goal kind of thing. Yeah. Like, I think it'd be fair to say that the Bat family doesn't win, save the day without her being that anchor.
0: Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent agree. What about you, Troy? Man, book yeah. one here we get a great introduction to, you know, what's going on in Gotham. We've got this this concept of, of Jason Todd in the Red Hood. You love you said you love the yeah. the outfit that he's in here, and then we get to kind of the end of the book where we do see the death of the clown, um, yeah. and, which has major implications for for what comes next. But but what are your thoughts here on on book one of the three Joker?
1: You no, know, book one was cool. Um... So book one, I like, at least I believe it's this one, because I was reading also Joker War at the same time. So there's a lot of Joker going on. <laughs> but um, I believe in this book, too, it opens up with like Batman's, I think Batman's different battles and his scars. Is yes. that correct in this yeah. one? Yeah. And I loved, loved that whole thing. I thought that was from there. I was like, boom, I'm in. And um, that that was fantastic for me. Um, what I really dig about this book is it feels like a sequel to um, Under the Red Hood. Like, you, you could you could read that book or, or watch the animated movie, and then you could go into this, and you would you would kind of get that idea that maybe Batman hasn't seen Jason since they last encountered each other um, over that one Joker, right? Like, I, I just, I love that. I love how, like, it's very focused on the three of them. There's no Nightwing, which I'm sure he obviously exists in this universe, but it's really a Jason, a barber, like you guys mentioned in a Batman story. So that was really working for me. Um, you mentioned the clown, and uh, I like that. That buildup, that, that heat, because you can feel it um all through this time, right? Like Jason was killed by at least one of these jokers at one point. So for him to finally have it and just lose it, it felt very real, it felt very earned. Whether you're reading Jason today or Jason then, it just felt like that makes a lot of sense. Um, but like you guys mentioned, like barbara being like the strength, the glue for all this was it was phenomenal. It's something I never really even thought about because mm-hmm. it's like when it comes to like the big uh, Batman moments, it's like it's like Bruce's parents, obviously. And um, and it's like the loss of a, the Robin. That's always a big one for me. And I, I do think a little bit of like Barbara being paralyzed, but it's never really struck me as hard as until I read this book. And I was like, shoot, that was actually like that's huge. That's a really big deal. And I like the fact that they tackle that. So, um, yeah, I, I like where they went. I didn't actually think um, Jason was actually going to pull the trigger. Me too. But the fact that they went there, I was like, okay, cool. This is a this is a bat label book. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, And from there, I was like, yeah, man, like we're we're on a journey here. I'm going to ride this one out. And um, I think at that point, or maybe it's book two. I don't want to make comparisons, but I think it's either book one or book two. At that point, I was kind of like this. This is winning the Joker war for me between the two Joker books going on. (laughs) This is this is the Joker book that I'm uh, I'm down with right now at the time. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, it's so cool about this, this idea of the death of the clown there and what Jason Todd does. I love how it bookends what we see and what we're going to talk about in book three with Batman, right? Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: the depth and like you just talked about the core values that Batman holds and the inability to go that far, even with someone that basically they talk about the person that sent Gotham into hell. Right. His inability to do what just happened in in book one here right to step over that line yeah and i love how book one and book three really bookend that whole thread that they pull through there and the difference between Jason and Batman. And, and you're right, too, about Barbara Gordon here. Like, one of the most touching moments, I think it was in the end of book two or book three, where Jason is in Barbara's apartment and he's looking mm-hmm. through her books. Yes. And, right, and it's dealing with trauma. And he says, well, this is a, would be – it sounds like a, a helpful book. And she says, yeah, it's been really helpful. So, yeah. like, there's those very quiet moments in this. You know, it's it's a hell of a ride. But there's also those very subtle and quiet moments that that we get to experience with those characters and then you got all this crazy chaos going around them, and and I, I really love those touches there, and appreciate it much more once you've read the whole story, right? Once you get the whole concept of what they're driving towards here, it uh, it is it's just wonderfully executed. Yeah. Now we head into book two here, and again, if I've skipped over anything, guys, feel free to jump in or, or bring it into the conversation here. But we go into book two here and enter Joe Chill. You know, the character that's referred to later is the one that, that, you know, pushed Gotham into hell. And this is when you start to get a little bit of the Bat story, right? Which is kind of cool, revisiting some of that uh, that older pain of, of Batman and the death of the, the Waynes. And and this is really a bit more focused, I believe, on the comedian. Correct. Uh, the the individual who we do see, and we we talk about, we'll talk about a little bit later the reveal of the comedian and and what goes on there, and really that recreation of the death of Jason Todd here, uh, which struck me, you know, in in quite a way too. The way that they did that, I was like, holy crap, are they going to do this again? Mm. Um, that's how intense this was in these few panels here. Now, you know, Carlos, like the bringing in Joe Chill into this story and what we see later on and picked up in book three. Um, this is going to touch a lot of the roots and a lot of the history there that, that you're quite familiar with. How, how do you feel this is executed here? Bringing a character like Joe chill into this, you know, significant, you know, middle book of, of the three jokers. Well, like my first reaction was kind of like, why are they doing this?
2: Because they have so little time to play with the characters. Mm -hmm. And it's like book one progressed really far. But you didn't feel like, like, I I remember finishing book two thinking, like, how is this going to be done in one more issue? Like, how are they going to wrap this up? And so when they added that layer of Joe Chill into there, I was like, well, what are they playing at? But man, did it ever pay off in spades? Like, I don't want to kind of jump the gun, but like, yeah, that that was some pretty special stuff that Johns did with that. But uh, to go back to your point about them echoing Death in the Family, like. I was anxious reading me too. those panels in that swimming pool where it's just like I was terrified for Jason, and especially now because there's not one, but there's like the two of them there. Tate um, and he's like so vulnerable, right? Like he's like literally stripped down to nothing, mm-hmm. and like oh man, like I, I was cringing watching some of those panels with them hitting
0: him with that crowbar and,
1: ah, and killed me. I thought they're going to kill that was him. Brutal, that was
0: brutal. <laughs> Yeah, like you could so, feel that crowbar across his face. Yeah,
2: I know. Yeah, it it doesn't yeah. help that Box art is like just so <laughs> evocative. Yeah, <laughs> every single panel, right? And he was using those nine panel grids, and it's just like I, I just want to get through this. Like, just mm-hmm. I, I need to get to the next page. Like, give me a breather. Where's Batman? Like, <laughs> he's got to save him. Type of thing. So, yeah, no, it was a great bridge book, and um, it, it really got into. Jason's trauma now mm-hmm. and like you totally feel as a reader that he's justified in like killing the clown and he'd be justified in taking out the criminal and the comedian as well because like he just went through such a horrific experience kind of thing and um he has the the death aspect to everything where you almost feel like it's justified and but then at the same time it's like what what are you aspiring to write? And Barbara's your, your beacon of hope in that tether saying, well, no, that's not what we're all about. Kind of thing. So yeah, it, it was a great bridge book, but it was, uh, <laughs> it, it was a bit of a nail biter to read. It mm, definitely, sure. it definitely was. <laughs> and then
0: bringing in the element of, and this is why I think I, I said earlier on the book two is my favorite is like you said from book one, he didn't quite know where they're going with this three Joker thing. And i believe it's at the start of book three you kind of get kind of the psychotic spin where you have him kind of sitting at the table with what he thinks is his wife and his kid and yes. okay yeah the, that was that the, book right yeah and then the, the, the twisted element comes up here where the actual reveal of what the three jokers is is making a better joker is really in book two here and you walk into that room and you've got that swimming pool full of chemicals mm. and you've got all these bodies floating in it and it was there almost like okay like i understand what's going on here but the way that Fabok drew that i i could smell yeah the the chemicals and the bodies in there like yeah it was like almost like a 4d experience for me i was like (laughs) whoa like (laughs) this is like this is really cool how they're bringing this element and this, this concept of making a better Joker and that they're picking out. And then in book three, they kind of go through like the lawyer, the, you know, the, the criminal, this, that, or not the criminal, but the and the, the thief judge and, the judge judge and yeah. you know, all these different things that they're trying to create a better Joker. Mm-hmm. And, and then they're coming out of the pool and, and Jason Todd's kicking the one in the face and he's got kind of like that psychotic look in him. And then you get this kind of big, battle, right, with this Joker army, this naked Joker army coming at Batman and Barbara as as they're trying to find Jason here. Like how did this strike you, Troy, when you kind of got a bit of that at least for me that aha moment as to a bit of what's going on here and kind of the way that Fabok represented that with some of those even just like no word panels. Like we get quite a few of those where you get two pages of yeah, just art. And it just it just sucks you in. And you're kind of going panel to panel being like, okay, like, I'm trying not to rush through this because I want to to consume the art here.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: you're like, I want to get to the next page, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah no, it, it comes off very cinematic. I I, I yeah. appreciate it. Um and I felt like it worked a lot in this book. There's there's sometimes in books where it gets a little overdone, but um there was there's those rare moments when it actually works, and I thought they did a pretty good job throughout all three books doing that. Um Yeah, man, the swimming pool. That that whole thing was like Resident Evil 2 vibes yeah. for me, man, when these zombie <laughs> cool. jokers yes. are just yes. cool. You know what I mean? That that was crazy. And then, and then back to Jason there. Jason, man, I thought I was like, shoot. Like, I felt horrible for him. I think Carlos and I were going back and forth after we read that book. And I was like, man, like, did I ever – I was crushed just to see uh, my dude just get beaten like that. But I actually thought he was going all the way. I thought they actually mm-hmm. were going to turn him. I was like, shoot. Like, okay, they killed the last Joker in the book one maybe jason's the third joker like that's the three jokers it's like that's that's crazy because it's the clown right in book one when the clown's like he says something to jason where it's like um you call yourself the red hood like you wanted to be me the whole time i'm paraphrasing but there's some kind of inklings that maybe jason all along has been a joker himself or at least wanting to be a joker the whole time and um I was like, shoot, did like, they actually say that back in, like, the Death in the Family book? Like, are those lines in there? I couldn't find it. But, I mean, it's cool because it's just, like, it's a black-label book. So, it doesn't have to be concrete and stone. Um, you, you get the idea of what they're going for. So, I was like, okay, book two, this is where they're going. Like, Jason's going to be the third one. And um, eventually, we get the two Jokers being like, no, like, he's he's not smart enough. He doesn't have yeah. the wits. And I was like, damn, okay, <laughs> so who's who's going to be the Joker? Like, what are they doing here? And um, honestly, I thought after that point, that was it. I thought we weren't going to see Jason anymore. I thought he was like out of the game, man, because they really took him down. Um, so, yeah, book two um, Book two was, was powerful. And, the, and like you mentioned, book two was the one where we saw Joker comedian, right, with the family. Like he had like that weird I'd flashback. start started book
0: three, I think, is where he has that like weird like moment with his family.
1: And then the clown, not the clown. And then the, um, the criminal comes in. The criminal he's like, interrupts him and is like yeah. snap out of it, right? Yeah, yeah, which was an interesting relationship, too, between the criminal, just all of them. Because at the time, I'm thinking, okay, like, criminal was clearly, like, the OG. Yeah, uh, I agree. really like right Batman, right? And, you know, then, you know, things go the way they do. And um, it was just really interesting, those jokers, that takes, right? Like, you had that serious-looking clown, and then you had the comedian, which I think most of us can kind of vibe with. And then the clown is more of, like, your Jack Nicholson kind of, like, goofy whatever kind of joker so um anyways man no book two book two was great book two was great the joe chill thing i guess we'll get there yeah we'll um, jump into that so right I now. Won't, yeah so i won't i won't say anything until we get there i guess with the joe yeah. Chill. Well, well, yeah well let's
0: jump into it with with book three here cool. because this is where like i said it, it really starts to bookend what was introduced early on in book one and it ties quite nicely like you said carlos through a a, the bridge of book two into wrapping this up and i agree with you i didn't know where they were going with all this and i thought to myself is three books enough with what they've done and the groundwork that they've laid here and i will say yes it was um they get to a point in book three which it 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 perfectly sums up this you know very quick and very hard-hitting miniseries And the focus comes back really to, you know, the, the criminal and the comedian. And I was right there with you, Troy. I was like, okay, the criminal is the Joker. He is meant to be the Joker. And, but then you start to see a little bit more of of the comedian here, right? And his relationship with Barbara explored a bit more in and kind of that, that allusion to the killing joke with the camera and everything. And, this kind of concept of building the better Joker really comes to fruition in this via the the criminal kind of the mastermind that sat behind this. But then we also get the Joe chill thing here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually leave this to Carlos to kind of walk us through a little bit here because someone that has had the history of reading Batman and really walking through this and, and this being a significant moment because I think, like you said, it really does represent the core of it as to what they do with Joe Chill here. And I love – and we'll talk about this maybe and you can uh, allude to this – this idea of of healing the Batman for the purpose of being kind of that, that ultimate pain for him. And so I, I talked to you about kind of pulling some context here of book three. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, I thought like this is when this –
2: series became truly special and you kind of notice the thread that John's is pulling through where like book one is about Barbara and how she dealt with her trauma. Book two really focuses on Jason and his. And then it's like, shoot, book three is about Bruce Wayne's trauma and the fact that the Joker is frustrated that, uh, he's the greatest trauma for Batgirl. He's the greatest trauma Mm -hmm. for Jason Todd Robin but he's not the greatest trauma for Bruce Wayne Batman. And to build a better Joker, he decides that he's going to ply his Joker-turning Frankenstein experiment onto Joe Chill, who we find to be dying of cancer. But I love that Batman, independently doing the investigation into what the heck is going on and how do I capture the Joker ends up having that moment with the pastor um, of the penitentiary where he finds all the letters addressed to Bruce Wayne and the Mm -hmm. pastor says, like, Joe Chill truly repented for what he did and he is remorseful for killing the Waynes and he has been writing all these letters to Bruce Wayne but doesn't feel worthy to ask for Bruce Wayne's forgiveness because... He feels that what he did was terrible, and the reason that he killed the Waynes was was amazing. Because that's that's kind of the origin of Batman that I love the most, where the killing of the Waynes is senseless, mm-hmm. and it's not part of a big conspiracy, and yeah. it's not part of a supervillain origin story.
1: Yeah. It's not the Falcones. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, the best the best version of Batman is the one where the kid vows to become Batman so that what he went through doesn't have to happen to anybody else ever again. Yeah, I agree fully
0: with you there. And
2: that's where that's where his like the sanctity of human life is rooted in the character because he's like if I kill random thug number seven or I mow down a bunch of guys in the Batwing, how many of those guys have kids and how many of those guys Mm -hmm. have families and my vow is to ensure that nobody ever has to go through what I had to go through. And so I love that that was a major part of John's story, was that Joe Chill just callously killed the Waynes because he was jealous. He was frustrated mm-hmm. with life. He, uh, he he was a poor person and he saw the Waynes as having everything and killed them and didn't, in his blind wow. rage, didn't even notice Bruce Wayne there. And that was what snapped him out of this murder rage. <clears throat> and then the story goes on. He gets apprehended. He's spent most of his life in jail, but he repents. and But he hasn't had the ability to ask Bruce Wayne for forgiveness yet. And Bruce is put into a position where he has to reconcile this. And it all comes to a head with the Joker being the guy manipulating everybody. Mm-hmm. Manipulating an unwilling Joe Chill who's dying of cancer. And manipulating batman because he's like i'm going to turn him into a joker he's going to be the greatest joker the joker is so crazy and so obsessed with batman that he's willing he he was willing to sacrifice his life and let his creation of the joe chill joker be the thing that persists and be his legacy knowing that he'll have gotten the ultimate one up on batman so that's amazing and then that batman puts his life at risk not once but twice and twice saves Joe Chill. And they have an exchange in which he, Joe Chill thanks him, and Batman doesn't tell him to shut up. He doesn't like slap him around. He doesn't do anything, but he forgives him. And then that Batman beats the Joker by healing his trauma and having the ultimate act of grace in forgiving Joe Chill and being at, and Bruce Wayne, not even Batman, Bruce Wayne being at Joe Chill's bedside when he dies
0: mm-hmm.
2: is incredible because like not only does he heal his own trauma but he forgives the guy that basically created him that yeah, destroyed his world <clears throat> Like, it was beautiful stuff and like Box yeah. art just <clears throat> kind of brings tears to your eyes to, to see Bruce kind of go through that and to like truly be the hero That's why I just can't buy that kind of oh yeah this guy kills people, you're you're living in a fantasy world like it's no that's that's a base level crappy version of the character man this this is the hero the hero who doesn't take the easy way out because in book one Jason takes the easy way out exactly by capping that Joker and in this book not only does Batman save Joe Chill he arrests the Joker. And then has to ride with him in the back of the paddy wagon Mm -hmm. Mm. (laughs) and listen to the Joker mock him the whole time. Yeah. And not lose it. And he's, like, not tossing him around back. He's just sitting there listening to him. And, like, low-key in my mind's eye. And you've you've just read it again. But, like, I kind of felt that Batman didn't react to that because he won knowing that he forgave Joe Chill.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, it's such a nice conclusion to this story too and and much to your point about the core of the character is that he he saves joe chill right several yeah. times and there's moments throughout each book where jason Todd, i think i remember some book two or three says like you couldn't do it you couldn't kill the joker i did and I, I love that 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 it holds true to that that true batman and i agree with you the origin that origin of joe chill the origin of batman through the death of the waynes this is my favorite version of that, that it's nothing more than, you know, a man down his luck killing out of pure jealousy and then running through this. And the idea that this is, you know, been about healing Batman, I think is really cool. You know, like mm-hmm. you said, Tro, you start off with him and you actually you see his physical wounds in the first couple <clears throat> panels. Mm-hmm. And then you see mm-hmm. that major emotional wound in Batman healed by book three. Yeah. Like it's such a cool juxtaposition of what you're seeing in Bruce Wayne on the exterior to Bruce Wayne on the interior um, and that emotional end of things. Like, w- like book three for you, man, like wrapping yeah. this up and even the idea and the revelation by the end of book three that Batman knows who the Joker is and always has known, right? Mm-hmm. The, you know, that we get down to the comedian is at least I think the book is pointing at is meant to be the Joker, right? Because he, yeah. he kills the criminal in this as yes. well, right? And so so what are your thoughts on some of those high points that we do see in book three as it, as it wraps the story up?
1: Y'all, book three, man, they brought it, dude. I loved, loved that reveal that I I, I, I screenshot it and sent it to Carlos right away. I was like, dude, how <laughs> Batman is this? That panel is talking to um, Alfred and he's like, within the first week of fighting Joker, I already knew who mm-hmm. he was. I was like, dude. That's Batman. I love that because he's the greatest detective. Like, of course he knows. He has to know. Um, so I well, love that he aspect. says it right because he never actually says it. In yeah, the he, he's like, like the "I'm Batman" thing is a movie yeah. kind of thing. Right? Right, he's like, he's I don't want to like, be that guy, but I'm yeah. Batman. Like, <laughs> Come on. <laughs> what? That was that was awesome. No, that was that was fantastic for me. Um, you know what? I will say, um, and it might be unpopular. I, I like everything they did in this book and. I like what they did in this whole series and I feel like it works in this series. For me personally, I feel like the conclusion and Batman forgiving Joe Chill for me doesn't work if this is like main like current Batman, or not even current Batman, if this is like the main I don't know what the main earth is in like the DC terms like 616, but if we're talking like Greg Capullo and Tom King and Tian's like Batman, for me it just it doesn't work if Batman forgives Joe Chill because if for him forgiving Joe Chill, that's like Batman almost being happy, which is like then Batman no longer has to be Batman. Much like Tom King's run, if like Batman marries Catwoman, then he's like happy. But you can't be like a happy Batman. You gotta you gotta still have that that edge if that kind of makes any sense. Um and it's not like a problem with this book. It's just for this book, for this else world, it makes a lot of sense for me there. But for me it's like in the main Batman, I just I don't ever see him acknowledging that or forgiving Joe Chill. I could see him saving his life. I just couldn't see him forgiving him because that that's what caused him on, on this whole journey of being like the Batman. But again, like I said, it's not a problem by any means. It's just for me, it just doesn't work if we're going outside of this universe. Um, the Joe Chill thing, too, as well, um, I thought it was interesting that Joker... Wanted to make him, you know, turn this guy into the next Joker. I love the whole um, reveal that we just mentioned too that um, the comedian was like the big bad. Like, essentially, the comedian could be like the Scott Snyder's Joker because we do see like that cool, like melted face. I think we see them three. We see that, right? So it goes to show like all along, like he was there. Like, he's the one that took out Jason, he's the one that took out Barbara or center, um, you know, uh, center in a wheelchair. that whole thing was cool. Carlos, you mentioned the whole thing like Jason's trauma from book one and Barbara's book two and then Batman's book three. Like, that's genius. That, yeah, that's that to awesome. me is like, it's 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 unbelievable like, how well they handled not just Batman, but Joker and Jason and Barbara. Like, they they killed it. They could have very easily been like, we'll do like the main, you know, Batman characters that you all know. Like, we'll give you the Robin, the basic Robin, say Tim. And we'll give you, Nightwing, but they decide to go with like two characters I don't want to say are unknown, but characters that really don't get the shine as much as others, and uh, again, is this handled with care, I love that um, Barbara, towards the end too uh, makes it clear that her and her father, Commissioner Gordon, are very aware of who each other is Mm -hmm, that he's like, "All right, dad, you know, like I thought that was so cool, and I'm like, damn okay, that makes sense, like I, I, I wish we, like, I don't know, like, are we there in comics right now, with the main line does Gordon know? No, I don't they think flip so.
2: Back and forth
1: for the longest time, he did know, which yeah. makes
2: sense to me. Like, yeah, especially like when the Killing Joke was part of continuity. Yeah, it's just like, well, why, why would the Joker come and do that to you? Well, it's a Joker, but like the other part <laughs> too is like Bruce Wayne is not the only detective in Gotham City. Like, yeah, <laughs> Jim Gordon's <laughs> an investigator too, right? And, <laughs> and, and Batgirl's costume isn't. Uh, yeah, she's not exactly dressed up like Cassandra Cain's version of Batgirl. Yeah, yeah, he would be it's, able to figure it out, right? It's it's yeah. pretty
1: obvious. Um, There's only so many ginger ninjas running around <laughs> <Gotham>. <laughs> I, I I like how they kind of put a nice bow too on Jason and Barbara's relationship. If they did want to bring this into the main line, it's like she never got the note, so she would never know, you know. And Jason, yeah. in his eyes, is like, well, maybe she did get the note, and then she's not interested. But I also like how like that janitor very well could have been Joker like he, yeah. he was all in purple he had like the happy times cleaning like tag on the back of him i was like okay like and i like that that's very kind of like joker right to like leave him out there still dangling i just thought that was great
0: well i and I, I i see the end of this too is like perfectly and appropriately ambiguous right like they they tie enough up to give a nice solid conclusion to this story but yeah. leave enough open that it's still there for interpretation. It takes me back to a little bit what you just said. It reminds me a lot of the movie Joker, right? Where coming out of it, we all had a different interpretation as to what happened at the end. And I think this this gives you enough of a conclusion that it satisfies the end of this story and puts like a bookend to it, but it doesn't necessarily put the line in the sand and saying this is the definitive origin story or whatever of the Joker, right? Yeah. It, it gives you enough of it. And we even see, you know, in Alaska, you've got the the two people that he was imagining, the comedian was actually imagining and you got Bruce Wayne knowing that that they're there, right? Mm-hmm. And I find that there's, there's enough ambiguity there that it doesn't veer away from the whole concept of you're not meant to know who the Joker is. He's supposed to have this ambiguous and non-definitive origin story. And this, I think, gives you enough that you can say, okay, yeah, I can believe that, but it's not too poignant that you're like, okay, this is now the origin story. Like yeah. having read a ton of Joker stuff, Carlos, you know, finding and getting to this end point of book three and really of this series, does this wrap it up for you in a satisfactory way? Oh, 100 percent.
2: And and actually to go back to uh, the Joker's wife and his son. So in the killing joke, um, she's pregnant at -hmm. the time and like they have the the coppers that are in that same panel staged up a different way, telling him, that his wife has passed away. And what it ends up being is that it's Jeff Johns flips the script and he's like, it's actually Bruce has pulled the strings and he's paying for this woman to go into kind of the Batman version of witness protection Mm -hmm. up in Alaska type of thing. So I thought that that was amazing. And the reason that he's never revealed that to anybody or revealed who he is, is to protect the wife yeah. and the son yeah and they they kind of insinuate that she and the kid would be at risk from jason if bruce revealed who the joker was oh shoot,
1: sure, i didn't catch that okay
2: yeah or at least that, that's something that i kind of read into yeah. it was it's like well maybe this is why because at the beginning of book three i think it is like there's that moment where he takes a hard line with jason and yeah. says like i don't know who he is kind of thing and I don't but know what then, to do with him. Yeah. Yeah. To make it consistent with his conversation with Alfred. Yeah. He kind of, he doesn't directly justify that interaction with Jason, but he kind of says if every, if anybody knew who the Joker was, yeah. he would basically sacrifice the wife and kid
1: kind of thing. So what do you, th- what, so what do you always think? Like, um, not just in this book, but just in general, like Batman's, um, lying to the team because he's, he's always doing it right whether it's the justice league whether it's the bat family i mean because like you mentioned right um i think barbara and jason both are like do you know who he is and then batman says if i did i'd tell you well he's clearly lying he, <laughs> because he knows right and we've seen him do the stuff in the justice league and other tales with the bat family and sometimes it's like hey you know bruce if you just told the crew we wouldn't be in this situation what do you yeah. think
2: yeah i uh I, I think it fits with the character right like yeah when you have kind of like the the edgier, like, quote unquote, like evil Batman, like I like those aspects or those stories about the character to come from um, this perspective where it's like he's the smartest guy in the room, but to a fault where right. um, Clark Kent is his best friend, but he's got. Binders full of different ways that he can kill the guy yeah. and take him out yeah. and manipulate that type <laughs> of thing, right? Like, yeah, it, it, like that's that's kind of my favorite version of the quote-unquote malevolent Batman, where it's like, yeah, he's your best friend, but he's going to do what he thinks is right, even <laughs> when it's probably the wrong thing to do. So, yeah, I yeah. hear what you're saying. Like, he, yeah. he like he can be frustrating in that manner, but I I like that version of it as opposed to like her. I'm just angry and
1: <laughs> <laughs> definitely No, I get that. I got that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's uh, th- this, this whole thing here, guys, we're gonna wrap up this discussion. And it's just something I want to do a little bit more of is the comic book reviews of, of some of these short series that are digestible and consumable by, by many people. But, but overall, I think, you know, from this, I'd have to say that just listen to, to all the points here. And, you know, maybe we didn't touch on every single aspect of it, but it, it is a standout for me for a, a, a consistent and, and tight series based around and giving you based around the Joker, but giving you much more than that. And is, is there anything kind of the last kind of few lines summary here, Carlos, is there anything else you want to add to to the discussion here?
2: You know, what? it's a perfect series in that it's not one that you have to read this uh book that's a standalone no consequences tale that has the start of a universe and the end of a universe built into it um but at the same time it's immediately accessible draws from these things that are like realistically like the certainly the death and the family story is ingrained in pop culture like mm-hmm. uh, everybody knows that tale. And if you don't, there's uh, 95 different ways to access it now. So yeah, like if they can do something like just tease it as an Easter egg in in a major Hollywood movie, it tells me that it's, it's something that's just known. So yeah, I think it's masterful and that it gives people that are entrenched in the lore, a ton to chew on. And it gives somebody that just walks into it off the street, uh, an amazing story, and if you want a tale that is the core essence of everything fantastic about Batman and the Bat Family, this is the book. Like I can't think off the top yeah. of my head a better a better story to recommend to people. So,
0: fully agree with you there. And I'll, i Troy, last thoughts on yeah. on the three Jokers?
1: <clears throat> no, uh, I got my thoughts, man, Carlos. That's basically. I thought this book was awesome. I think it's is it a fun read. It was an easy, quick one. Um, I mean, yeah, everybody pretty much knows the Death in the Family. I think it'd just be really fun to uh to revisit that book. Yeah, Red Hood and um, Killing Joke, and then treat yourself to this book, and you just get that kind of cool synergy between all those books leading up to this. I think Jeff Johns, I just handled everybody with care. I've, I've said like a thousand times, but I really do. Uh, Fabric, man, oh, come on, his art was killer. It's probably if we could give out awards, you know, for best art, he might. Well, it's between him and my boy that did um, Joker War, um, Jimenez. Jimenez oh, for Joker. Yeah, Jimenez. Yeah, man. It's between those two who might be right now for Best Artist of the Year. Because, wow. Both Brilliant. Joker books, both Batman books. But, anyways, yeah, check this they one out.
2: I always love giving the Eisner to like those independent type comics and like just just give it to Faybock. I know it's Batman. <laughs> I know it's Joker. It. But it's like that guy deserves it. Yeah, man. Like the coolest bat suit and red hood suit.
1: Go it's and the best. It's it's, it's, it's it's the best bat suit I've seen ever. I like just take that right away and put it in the mainline comics. Like, come on, <laughs> love it. Because the one he has right now is horrible. <laughs> yes, it is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: is. <laughs> well, there it is, guys. There's the review of of Joker War and or Joker War. Geez, three Jokers <laughs> got me thinking <laughs> Joker <laughs> War now. <laughs> but uh, Which we're also gonna yeah, <laughs> maybe we'll talk about that here in the not-too-distant future. Maybe I'll jump into that one, too. But let's let's hop over to Star Wars to, to wrap this episode up. We're probably going to go a little long here, guys, but these uh, these two things are, are two of the biggest debuts and biggest series that are running right now, Three Jokers, and, and The Mandalorian, of course, jumping over to live action, jumping over to Star Wars, guys. We talked last week about The Mandalorian, our prelude episode, and our excitement, and our hype for the upcoming season two of of the mandalorian here guys there was lots of hype for the debut on october 30th here it to me it was something i waited for lunch i came down big tv all the lights off i watched this like i was in a movie theater and man did it deliver oh i gotta say you know coming out of of season one and all the the praise that we heaped on it and all the excitement we had for for season two i was a little fearful that what if it doesn't deliver what if it's just a good show and we talked about this last week you know what if it doesn't live up to the expectations that the community has put on its shoulders to carry this franchise through the next couple of years in the absence of major movies and and kind of this healing point for the community of star wars and i gotta say guys this is probably one of if not my favorite episode of, of the Mandalorian episode, or chapter nine, I should say, The Marshal, written and directed by Jon Favreau. And this, this to me, fully encompassed the essence of what Favreau and Floni are doing here. It, it perfectly embodies the idea of progressing a singular story while seeding many other things, but also making you feel... Like, you're inside of the Star Wars universe with all these familiar elements, but with slight new tweaks and new light shining on them. This wasn't a, hey, let's point at every single thing that we've seen before in a Star Wars film. It is let's put these things in, these elements in, because it all matters for the story and the progression of the story. It's not just fan service. It all has a point and a purpose. And with this first episode, the thing I liked about it, too, is... It was a Mando story, right? It was quite focused on him. You know, I thought at any point the child could pop up here and solve all the problems and they didn't rely on that. You know, we've seen that, I don't think in a detrimental way, but we've seen that in the past with a relatively similar arc um, in, in in season one and the child was able to solve the problem there. But they didn't leverage that here, which I like that they liked, they let this episode play out. And then for the first time, in a major way, we see a small character pulled from the books into live action and make a serious impact on this. So, guys, that kind of just gives a a little bit of framework for what we're going to talk about here. But, Troy, man, coming into this, you were hyped. You were pumped. How did you feel the first episode or the first chapter, I should say, of season two delivered for The Mandalorian?
1: Batman. Well, listen, we just came from one Batman to another Batman <laughs> in a galaxy far, far away. Carlos, man, you must be there with Favreau writing this one. This one, <laughs> this one was like, uh, it might be my favorite Mando episode ever. Yeah, like, I'm telling yeah. you, man. Fabs is yeah. a listener. <laughs> yeah, he must yeah. be. <laughs> yeah,
0: you sent that right away. Favreau must be right listening. Right away.
1: <laughs> must have, man. Se- season one, season finale was like the top notch for me. Um, This season... They blew everything out of the water. I love the tone they set with yeah. Mando going into that fight club, kicking out. Mando was like leveled up. Like he was like level five in season one. Now he's like level, he's like at max cap right now. <laughs> he's, he's awesome right now, man. Um it was like a western meets um like a RPG role-playing game. With, like, the dungeon crawling, with, like, Batman is the focal point. I just, I can't get over how well... They, this is the most I've liked The Mandalorian ever. His character was cool, and he was just very coy. He, was, he wasn't he was over the top, but he's just very confident in all of his abilities. The fact that he's spent time on Tatooine, and he can communicate with the Tusken Raiders. Oh, yeah, I love The Tusken that. Raiders are getting a lot of love for this episode. Yes. The most we've ever seen. And um, him using the jetpack, the special effects were, like, the best I've ever seen in this franchise. Were not franchise, sorry. In this in the series, um, the pod racer, like yeah, whether come it's a hundred percent is. Come oh, on. Oh <laughs> my god. No, but this 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 episode just it just it just blew me away. I love everything they did. The score was fantastic. Um what more can I say? Tim, you mentioned it already too. The fact that we're like this is what I've always wanted is that we're actually taking characters from the books and we're giving them a lot of love in on the on the big screen or live action. Like they're not ignoring it. We're, we're, we took the Marshall from Chuck Wendig's aftermath, aftermath. book one yeah. or two, but it's, and- they were interludes.
0: They, it wasn't even the story. It yeah. was like three or four interludes of what's going on around the galaxy during the fall of the empire. Mm-hmm. Like that's where this character was taken from, not from a whole book of focus. I don't think the character, the character might get mentioned in book three again, but it's just these short like you know small interludes in between major chapters of these books. Yeah. That this character is introduced and he plays such a huge role here.
1: Huge role, man. And, and and the way they use him without the mask to play off the mando is so mm-hmm. great and inviting Agreed. for an audience because you can't see Pedro obviously, right? And um listen, what was this episode F- 55 minutes an hour? Yeah,
0: 52 Th- I think, yeah.
1: That has to be the way like because that's my biggest complaint with the last season is way too short the episodes. Like it's like that The Rebels' length, which just didn't make a lot of sense for me. These episodes got to be 55 minutes or an hour. It's just, there's so much to tell. And, like, I didn't look at my phone once the whole time when I was watching. Not at all, man. It was incredible.
0: Fully engaged there. And I think to your point too, Troy, I think this episode really benefited from the established You know, we have the established Star Wars universe, but the established Mando universe in the origin, Mm -hmm. right? Because it just went right into it. It didn't bother having to go through A, B, and C. It just relied on the fact that you see in season one, you understand we're in Star Wars, we're running with it here, Yeah. right? They didn't take any time to to step back and say, here's what a Tusken Raider is, and this is what the Bantha does. It just, even with the Krayt Dragon, it was like, boom, you should just know what this is. (laughs) You know
1: what I mean? How good did that Krayt Dragon look? Like Dude,
0: what? The CG like you said on this yeah. was and this is what we had talked about last week too is that this thing's going to look better and it looks yeah. like with the lights off in the big screen TV in the basement here mm-hmm. you'd swear you were watching it on a, like a, a 100 million dollar movie. Oh. 200 million dollar movie. Like it was yeah. it was better than some of the CG we've seen in some of the recent Star Wars stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like, Unbelievable. Now, Carlos, let's bring your your perspective into the conversation here. You know, you had a pretty cool experience from what you told us in the DM with episode or chapter nine here of The Mandalorian.
2: Yeah, like it was an early start for my workday and uh, I'm just working away and I hear some rustling. And my daughter had a full day planned, but uh, she specifically woke up super early so that she could watch The Mandalorian with me before uh, she had to get on with uh, her duties for the day. So that was kind of special. Like, it just screamed as to what her her level of fandom was for this show. And despite watching it before 7 o'clock in the morning kind of thing, man, we were all in and just entrenched and engrossed from minute one right till the end. And... Tell me, John Favreau doesn't listen to the show, and I'll call you a liar, because <laughs> that opening sequence in the alleyway with the grapple—that was ripped straight out of Batman '89, man. Like <laughs> that was unreal. Perfect. I was perfect. Yeah, I was just like, "Oh, Favs, you're you're yeah. making my heart sing, man." Yeah,
1: except he but, kills.
2: Mando kills. Oh, I know, but that's where <laughs> that's where it's fine. It's yeah. fine. He's, yeah. he's the Batman of a galaxy far, far away. Not. Uh, not Earth Prime, but uh, <laughs> yeah, man. Like right off the hop, like I love the vibe that him and the the child had. Mm-hmm. Where like they're at the ringside, and you could tell that the child has now become acclimated for how this guy goes about his business and what he needs to do to protect himself, and like just little things, like how in the middle of the fight he the uh, he kicks the closed pram away so yeah. he can. Um, get in with the multiple assailants and whatnot. And uh yeah, I just this is the Star Wars that I love. When you're with the people on the street and you're kind of entrenched in their world and kinda of writing a bit of headcanon as to so these people that live out in this little outpost here, what do they what do they do day to day? And they talk about the kids going to school and um yeah I just I thought it was it was wonderful, man. Like beginning to end and The scene with him meeting the marshal for the first time and Timothy Oliphant very nonchalantly taking the helmet off and how aghast the Mando was yeah, and uh, that he immediately demands the armor. And I love that Oliphant's character kind of recognized that what he was doing, that he knew that it would elicit a response from this guy from this uh, race, community, religion that would never take off their mask, and that, that would be the kind of the first steps to um, this relationship that they started. I didn't quite know if he was playing the Mando and he knew that the crate Dragon would be coming through town kind of thing to disrupt the standoff or not, because he makes it very clear that he knows that the Mando would take him out, no problem, this yeah. kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I thought it was wicked, man, and just how... Rapidly, they expanded Mando's world and his skill set, but it seemed very natural and of a piece with everything that they've done before. It yeah. wasn't as though all of a sudden he was kind of Bruce Lee or whatever, but it's like, yeah, I guess it makes sense that this guy knows this language because the Mandalorians are very much into studying cultures, it seems, and kind of planted. They they put the work in, right, to pay off these things, like with the Tusken Raiders. and yeah, I loved how he was like the negotiator between yeah. the two oh. communities and
0: yeah. well it was it was so cool to see a different spin on the Tusken raiders right because we've often seen them you know either as cannon fodder in episode <laughs> two um or as just basic you know pillagers you know raiders yeah. Yeah. and they're given a bit of character development here that they're, they're there's actual race here and they respect certain things and the mando acknowledges that yes they are in fact raiders but you know, there's some honor in them. And if you work with them, they'll work with you. And I, I thought that was so cool, you know, a spin to put on a character and one of, you know, the first real alien characters that we see in Star Wars, right? In A New Hope, you know, that interaction mm-hmm. they have with Luke and all that. And it's it's cool to see them further develop that because, yeah. you know, them coming right back to Tatooine, right? The nexus of the Star Wars universe of a galaxy far away, far, far away. You know, that could seem like a bit much, and it could seem like okay you're just leveraging on this there's like a you know a thousand other planets here why do we keep coming back to Tatooine but like I find that they get you there so organically yep there's another Mando there that we've heard whispers of Um, I've been there before I know Tatooine and it makes sense for him to go back there I never once questioned oh okay they're going they're going to Mos Eisley they're gonna see all this familiar stuff like I was like right on board with it from day one like or from you know minute one like let's go back to Tatooine let's do this because I had a feeling I knew we're we're going towards Boba Fett right or at least the armor in itself and and I enjoy that aspect of it and seeing the familiarity but it not being fan servicey like I said I think really works in this and I think Favreau and Filoni have found a way to acknowledge Star Wars without being like you know, putting a big shining light around it and saying, guys, remember this? Remember this? This is mm-hmm. why you love Star Wars. This is taking the elements that you love and spinning them on their head a little bit and working it into an environment that the Mandalorian exists in. And I, I find it's just so well done in that aspect.
1: Yeah.
0: Well,
2: I just like the evolved Easter eggs, right? Like you said, like Anakin's Pod Racer engine. Yeah. Brilliant. It's yeah. that thing you know, but not how you know it and not how you'd expect, right? Yeah. yeah.
0: Just like like, a sidecar attached to it, I thought that was so cool, so cool that you know that he's rolling around, and it makes sense, right? Like it's probably there at some point, wherever it was, and he's picked it up and modified it. Like it's it's so cool. So let's jump into some of the details of the episode here um, and expand a bit on some of the conversation that we've had, given that we've all expressed our our gleeful joy for what this delivered here. Mm -hmm. Now, the the Mandalorian's been set on this mission, right? Looking. Uh, to reunite the child with its own kind. Now, the one thing that sticks out to me of of interest here is he's out seeking other Mandalorians. And the first thing that pops into my head here is, you know, with with Rebels, right, Troy? Mm-hmm. You know, Sabine exists, the Clan Ren exists, Mandalore exists to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that they chose to ignore that a little bit. I'm wondering if that's going to come back later on. Because... Uh, Boba Fett and kind of this elusive, you know, whispers of this one Mandalorian that exists on Tatooine doesn't Hmm. seem like the obvious first point of contact for the Mandalorian, right? Like it seems like there's more accessible Mandos out there.
1: Well, I think, um, I think because I don't know how much time's passed from Sabine's era to now, maybe five or six, but I think that, that, that purge happened, right? So I feel like the Mandalorians have been like laying low
0: yeah, and that's that's right. the interesting piece that I think we need a little bit more of.
1: Yeah, is, yeah. Because
0: that Purge was of their own, that little clan, right? Right, um, right. Not of kind of the wider And I guess we are missing that piece, but my assumption is coming off the back end of, of Rebels. And again, because we have the Darksaber here, yeah. we don't know what happened there, right? Because that was in control of of the Mandos on Mandalore. I, I think it's Mandalore one of them at the end of rebels. Right. There was, you yeah. know, they basically had patched things up there and we're working towards, you know, a prosperous Mandalore again. Yeah. A- and there's, there's a gap there for me that I, I like that they went this direction, but it, it, it kind of gets my head spinning. Like, okay. Is Sabine the next obvious Mando It's like, is one of the MacGuffins here of the season Mandalorians? Yeah.
1: Yeah, so that's what I'd, I'd wonder because we know like Bo Katan was the last Mandalorian to have the saber, but now yeah. we obviously know that uh Gideon was it Moth. Moth Gideon's yeah. obviously taking it. So there must be something there, which I'm sure obviously Filoni will flush out where he's done something to take that sword away or that saber away, which is leaving the rest of Mandalore in a deficit, I would I would imagine. But um I'm sure they'll get there. But it is interesting, right, that Mando's quest is to um find another mandalorian to help him find the child's like people yeah. which is an interesting, interesting way to go
0: i agree with you yeah. and I'm, I'm really looking forward to them fleshing that out more because i'm i'm and i'm not supposed to and i probably shouldn't i don't understand the point of it right now right like why does he need to go find like to me like i said last week like there's luke skywalker like has got to exactly. be kind of known galaxy wide at this point yes. um, or the idea that there's a a jedi in the midst of the new republic yeah um and so there's there's something that I think they got to flesh out here Mm -hmm. but it it really gets the wheel spinning and it kind of makes sense as to potentially why we're going to see Katie Sackhoff's um who was it there Bo-Katan and potentially Sabine down the road and it really starts to to build my anticipation as to, to what next I didn't see this season as a Let's find the Mandalorian. Let's build on that aspect of it. You know, I thought right. we're going to go right into a bit more force heavy things with the child, but the child kind of takes a back seat in this episode. Um, we don't see a lot other than, like you said, Carlos, the him coming a bit more acclimated to what's going to happen when he starts to, you know, nod his head in a certain way that yeah. uh, he, he really knows what's going to happen here. So let's let's bring in let's we get to to Mos Eisley or not Mos Eisley most Pelagos here we get to Tatooine uh, we see a familiar character here which I which I really love the interaction the the female actress here uh, who's known as Pelimoto on, on Tatooine here we get a nice interaction we get some you know familiarity with the droids from Episode One of course and then we really get into the story here and let, let's let's kind of bring in some of the comments that you you brought to the table here Carlos with with Cobb Vanth um Cobb Vance, I think I've been calling him uh Vance Cobb maybe on the podcast for <laughs> quite some time I had the name backwards but um from someone that I don't think you've read the the aftermath books but kind of bringing this character you know was it obvious to you because I had some people asking me in the DMs you know is that Boba Fett um was it obvious to you that that was indeed the the Fett armor you know I think you know the dent in the head and kind of what it looks like it I, someone put online it looked like someone wearing a Boba Fett costume with a snowsuit underneath it at first.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, you kind of knew that something was up right away. And and I think having Timothy Olyphant was perfect. Like, he's a great actor, like, good-looking dude. Um, But he is always cast as that character, right? Like, justified. I'm the the marshal of this town kind of thing, right? So um, it was a low barrier of entry, having that guy in the role. And you knew immediately that there's like this guy is not Boba Fett and there's a bit of a story there. And I thought they had a pretty inspired way of telling the story. And I liked the look of the armor, how it looked. It was clearly Boba Fett's rig, but it had been digested. And you could see like this, the acid marks from the Sarlacc trying to break it down and whatnot. And uh, yeah, it was it was cool. Like it was perfect. And I'm glad that they didn't kind of string along something with Boba Fett with just like little teases of the armor here and there and the Mandalorian chasing him, and it ends up being whatever, like that right away, it kind of, you have that moment where it's like, Ooh, it's Boba Fett. Like what, what's this all about? And then within seconds it all plays out and Mm -hmm. just like, yeah, I just bought this stuff. It makes me look cool and lets me protect the town kind of. thing. (laughs)
0: Yeah. To me, it was like, it was so rewarding seeing that, like as someone that was committed to reading the aftermath books and and like you said as soon as he steps on the screen it's like yeah okay i know that's not boba fett i have a feeling i know who this character is and then when he pops the helmet off right away like you said it gets right to it it doesn't like and it i like that they contrast the both of them with the helmet off for most of the part for most of the the episode because like you can't keep that hair like no you can't keep that under the helmet guys whoa <laughs> man what i would do for hair like that yeah <laughs> uh, you <laughs> <laughs> so so troy man did you yeah. did you read aftermath uh I no no if you read the no, first one no. there or not
1: no no i i knew enough about it um at least yeah. with the first book um to speculate but i couldn't commit to those ones no
0: no it, it, they were they're were okay but I heard, it got,
1: I heard like from book two and three they got better
0: yeah it definitely it definitely progressed it wasn't because the problem is is you're always contrasting them to the Thron, the original throne trilogy um, which came after in that that original post return of the Jedi, that first book out of the gates that follows the main characters here. And so you contrast against that, and they're they don't they don't stand up. But this one here, and pulling from these interludes, is really cool, and I love that they brought this character. They tweak a little bit the the acquiring the armor; isn't exactly the same, but it's fine. I don't, it doesn't, you know, bother me that it's not perfectly in line. Maybe different perspective of telling the story or whatever. But anyways, they kind of you know get to the point where where we see the armor. But how? What are you feeling the moment when you see Fett's armor come back into the Star Wars universe?
1: When I saw the armor itself, um, I was like, whoa, here we go, this is it. Because I think everybody across the board speculated from way back when we heard that he was cast in the role of of, of Marshall, right? So I was like, okay, they're, they're doing it. They didn't waste any time. I thought the costume itself looked kind of funny, but I think it's meant to be that way. Yeah. Like It wasn't meant to look like pure Mando bounty hunter-like. Um, But I love the encounter man this to me is like very Western like between the two of them sitting down he casually you know goes after the drink sits it down puts the helmet down and I was like this is so cool like this is this is Star Wars man there's not even a lightsaber in sight and I'm like totally invested in these two and um, you know just him making a comment you gotta do this here with the kid and he's like he's seen worse I was like (laughs) man. (laughs) oh this is great so um it was cool and then you know with the tremor coming along um obviously the crate dragon
0: yeah
1: this is the elements i'm talking about like this is so cool how it goes from like a western featuring batman that's now turned into like an rpg quest where it's like you want to retrieve one thing well now you got to hunt down this monster and i'll give you this like that's pure like video game style for me and i i I love that aspect it was it was so cool it just worked it's it's a very simple uh storytelling method Mm -hmm. but it just it really worked for um a season premiere to be honest yeah. I loved it yeah.
0: yeah it introduced you to all the elements you needed plus gave you that extra piece and, and it kind of builds that Mandalorian lore again too right that he yeah. demands the armor right away yeah and says like you can't wear that and it, yeah. it really puts a question mark on you know maybe the eventuality of an encounter with Boba Fett proper and what he is because I think in established canon right now I don't think Jango Fett was a Mandalorian correct he just wore
1: the armor yeah he just wore the armor yeah, yeah. i don't believe he's i don't but the, the, yeah so i'm pretty sure Django is not we don't know about boba like i wouldn't be surprised if they're like to retcon things now and maybe yeah. somewhere along the way boba you know adopted the lifestyle or kind of got in with the yeah, because
0: you never see him really with his helmet off ever. Never. Right? And, and ever. so there's that concept of it. And it'll be interesting to see where they progress that story. But it, it, like you said, I, I was I was like I had this like shit eating grin on my face when we see the the Boba Fett and, and then really this being Cobb Vanth and Yeah. And then too, it's interesting you bring up the video game aspect of it too, because the the crate dragon here, I am not hundred percent familiar with this because I believe this has some history in the knights of the old republic with the pearl and all this kind of stuff right the mm-hmm. video game and all that um, we do see a crate dragon skeleton in episode four and a new hope kind of yeah. as c-3po and r2 are, are wandering there you see the dragon the big skeleton right behind them
1: yeah on yeah.
0: tatooine there and like you said this 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 whole crate dragon this idea of of taking the town the tuscan raiders and and forming this this basic you know battle party hunting party to go yeah. and kill this dragon that has been, you know, a menace to the, the village and it could go after the children. You know, the yeah. Tuscan Raiders have been hunting it for decades. Yeah. And it kind of, I, I love this aspect of it because my, my fear at first was like, okay, this is kind of similar to him battling the, the horned thing. Right. Um, in some element where it's kind of in a cave, there's a pearl or an egg or something in there. And, but I love that, like the interplay that you see here between the raiders, between the townspeople, between Cobb Vanth and the translation, and him getting all pissed off at the raiders, and Mando kind of calming the situation and yeah. all this. Like this whole build into the the big major fight sequence. You know, they spent up. There's a good ten minutes here where they work on all of these characters, and there's not a ton of action. And like you're talking about a fifth of the episode, but. I found myself completely engaged. Like they're sitting yep. around the fire for two, three, four minutes of this talking about the battle and their plan and all this. And I can't take my eyes off the screen. Yeah. Well, and it paid off too, because
2: you kind of cared about the survival of the group at the end. Yes. And you were waiting for the Mando and the Marshal to jump into action. Cause like these guys are getting picked off and they're getting like puked on and whatever else. <laughs> and, uh, because you spent the time to actually give the raiders and the townspeople uh, a bit of depth, there were some stakes for the audience. Like, yeah, yeah. it was well played by um, Favs and crew.
0: Yeah.
2: So like, that 10 minutes was worth its weight in gold.
0: For sure. Like, I, I found myself at times when he's, like, walking out with a bantha and I'm like, bro, you got to get out of there. <laughs> like, what are you yeah. doing standing there? Like, run away. That thing is going to come and eat you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but the cgi you touched on the cgi of this this whole episode looks beautiful but the crate the dragon mm-hmm. is screen quality like there is not a flaw in no. this and no. to really sell this like they could have went two ways right they could have went for this being kind of the elusive monster you catch a glimpse of it towards the end. But this thing keeps popping up, and then it's up on the mountainside, and then it's back up, and it's in, it's out. It's all over the place, right? They yeah. they don't shy away from showing this thing, one, in daylight, two, yeah. in sand, yeah. and, and three, just, like, showcasing it numerous times in this. Like, they could have went with, like, the grumbling in the cave for, you know, three, four minutes or whatever. <laughs> but this thing shoots out. Like, like this is flawless, right?
1: yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, just to go off that, I mean, not only just the look of the crate dragon, when we're getting um Mando and Marshall flying up too. Oh. Like instantly, just like like Iron Man, which which is another thing because you know what, when I started this episode, I didn't even check to see who was directing it. And we get that shot of Marshall um using the rocket launcher where yeah. he like bends down and shoots it. And I was like, Holy crap, that's Iron Man one shot. Like that yeah. <laughs> totally looks like the shot. I'm like, oh my god, it's Favreau. Like Favreau had to direct this, you know, just off that one scene. Which I thought was like kind of like a cool wink. But um no, going back, um, just seeing the crate dragon and the action sequences between these guys flying in and out, I was like, Wow, like what a what a step up from last season. And not like last season looked horrible, but you can definitely see the quality of improvement. Even oh, yeah. them just, you know, going through the dunes on the riders. It was like this looks way better than last time we were in Tatooine. I yeah. think episode five or four. Huge improvements. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's makes it that much more engaging right when it does you're not kind of seeing the a bit of rough edges to stuff like this is just crisp it's clean it, it, it's brilliant here now Carlos, like seeing vance gob and uh or i keep calling cob vanth i get them mixed up all the time <laughs> and, and in the fed armor with the helmet on scooting around with with mando like that was just gold when he's like all right it's time to get in the battle helmets on away they go like come on like yeah uh, yeah that was cool and
2: like the most impressive thing was just like the close-ups of the crate dragon's face like the detail in around it's like eye and in its mouth was incredible like it was jurassic park film quality type of thing um and yeah that you have like the little mando and marshall like landing on the hill and taking pot shots at it and then jumping back off and having a plan but not really having a plan and that they kept the quality of the special effects up the entire time was really impressive. And I love the blending of the practical and uh, CG effects too. Because a lot of the stuff on the ground you could tell was like actors in costumes or um, props and whatnot. So, yeah, it... uh, Yeah, the money's probably the same, but because they've paid for Their... their little green room or whatever that thing is, now they can use that same money towards making things pop i guess
0: yeah holy man did it ever and then like we, we really get after these you know very exciting action sequences here um the highs and kind of the more quiet moments we've got the mandalorian getting swallowed by the great dragon and doing again <laughs> yeah. kind of a little bit of an iron man thing right we we saw them do this in, in avengers who kind of gets swallowed and blows up from the inside of this thing yeah. you know the python <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it was cool. And I liked how they had him, like, use the energy weapon to get the dragon yeah. to open its so yeah, fly out kind of thing. Yeah. So they're just withstanding the the blast. So, yeah, no, yeah. it was well done. It
1: was really well done. Which was kind of neat, because in a way, like, that kind of answered, at least I kind of thought, how Boba had a chance of surviving in the first place, right? Like, I've seen that shot of Mando going inside. I think you can kind of look at that and be like, okay, well if boba's armor was semi on the same level as mando's if that crate dragon swallowed you know the sarlacc then essentially he would be able to withstand the acid in there and then hop out somehow so yeah i don't know yeah
0: i'm and I'm cool with that like i'm cool yeah. with boba fett surviving this like it doesn't doesn't bother me that they've and it was it was that way in the legend stuff too, Legends right? anyways basically yeah. spit back out yeah, and, and and I'm cool with that, and I think one of the things I, I had a good chuckle over is when uh, Mando almost like this is shows the progression of the relationship too here, and I think I think they earn this is when he says take care of the child. And then he smacks yes. the back of the uh like like you see in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, so it's like this obvious flaw in the jetpack where you smack <laughs> the back of it and it just pot shots <laughs> you out of the end of the screen. <laughs> I had a good chuckle that that. Okay, like that that's a nice nod to yeah. you know, it seemed like a bit Mr. Magooish that Boba Fett was Defeated by a blind Han Solo by like yeah. just like cranking the back of his jetpack, but here you go. Like this is uh, maybe a known flaw to the jetpack is <laughs> hit the one spot, but it's it served as an interesting point that they had built that relationship enough, and that he was basically saying like this this child that I've refused to let out of my sight for the majority of this this show, he's like okay, dude, I just met you're worthy of taking care of this child. Mm-hmm. Will I go and attempt this thing? Yeah. I, I thought that was really cool and it seemed earned to me. Yeah. Um, did, did you guys feel that that stepped a, a bit too far or do you feel that, that they had done enough work in, in the show here, Carlos, to kind of earn that idea and that concept that, you know, he was willing to let the child, you know, basically reside with, with, with Cobb if things did go south?
2: Yeah, like, they put the work in. Like, they certainly put the work in in the episode. But even before that, like, all through the Mm. first season, you kind of get the sense that um, the Mando is an excellent judge of character. And you look at who he allies himself very quickly and then who he's very mistrusting of and then how that plays out. So, yeah, it was in keeping with kind of the tropes of the show in that this guy can tell when there's people that can help him out. And, Mm -hmm. And I totally... Like I love when they get into that babysitters club aspect of the Mandalorian. Like I think it's cool when he's got like uh be it the villagers there in the fishing village or Kara or whoever. So yeah, it it made sense. It felt kinda natural for me where this guy just has a good read on people and what they're all about and yeah. um the Marshall's character had kind of proved that he was an all around good guy, that he had Uh, take it upon himself to protect the town from those miners and whatnot. And uh, yeah, it felt, it it felt very natural in both regards, both the selection of the character. And then that, that would be something that the Mandalorian would do.
0: Yeah. It's and the thing that I, I like about it too, is like, like you said, it feels natural. Like it it just, it works for me. I, I don't find myself having to make any leaps with this um and then we, we kind of see them part way as as more or less his friends here he 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 gives up the armor and the thing too that I like about this character is and the way they wrote him is uh, there is all there's always the opportunity for them to have him be doing something nefarious in the background right that he's never going to live quite up to this he's going to keep the armor he's in in for it for himself but the character seem more or less altruistic and that's the way he's framed in the book and that's the way he's framed here that You know, he's out for the. He loves this town so much for whatever reason that he's willing to make any sacrifice for it. And and he does that and he lives up to that. And it'll be interesting to see where they take the armor. But as we end here with the Twin Sons, we get the return of Tamar Morrison to the role or to Boba Fett, not to the role of Boba Fett, but to the retconned role of Boba Fett. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Looking pretty scarred up without the armor and watching the Mandalorian ride away with his armor so Troy man yeah this moment for me and we talked about it at, in the DM but first reactions here when you saw Tumor Morrison turn around and, and walk away
1: <laughs> man I was hyped I saw that and I like jumped out of my seat I was like yeah. damn like there he is like because I thought they already did enough work to be like okay like he's out there I didn't think they're actually going to show him first episode but they set that tone man and when i saw that dude walk off with that face that looked not like malicious or evil or really even plotting kind of just like in my opinion he kind of looked almost at peace with where he is that he's yeah. like okay you got this you know and who knows maybe they're they're going to fight maybe they're going to team up i don't know but he's out there man like he's out there we don't know how long this guy lives like is is he around for another 20 years to the sequel trilogy, who knows? But he's there. And um, it's just so cool to see um Boba Fett man. It's you know, not necessarily just Boba Fett, but uh Tamar Morrison because his uh the clones, like that's Django Fett, that's Rex, that's Boba, that's Wolf, you know, it's all these Mm -hmm. guys. Um, so it's really cool to just see him like there kind of scheming, I guess. So I love Uh, that.
0: Yeah, it was a gasp moment for me. Yeah. It was like, to me, like the, the episode played out so well that I kind of had forgotten about the idea of actual Boba Fett, the character making an appearance here. And, and I loved it. I love what they did with it. I love his Morris, Morrison. I love that it was brief. He didn't say anything. And to be yeah. honest with you, this could be a thread that's picked up in season three. like this is enough for me he's on Tatooine like he doesn't all of a sudden need to be in Slave 1 and then flying around following the Mandalorian like they could play it that way and I'd probably still love it but I like the subtlety of this definitely it made sense to me what about you Carlos like when 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 you saw this were were you kind of right there with us in that excitement level
2: yeah like I thought it was cool like I, I think I overthought it a bit I was like well, is, he, is it Boba Fett? Because that makes the most sense, right? If this has been spit up and stuff. Or what if it's Captain Rex or a different clone or somebody else? But yeah, like what you said, if this is Boba and he's going to have a role going forward, or if this is just a little capper Easter egg and you pick this up if you want to or don't going forward. I thought it was great and like perfectly placed when... Fett and that armor has been kind of at the forefront of an entire episode um i thought they did a good job of putting this as the the bow to really start those season two with a bang so yeah yeah,
0: yeah and i i find that we're gonna get quite a few of these cool little nods to to the wider Wars universe and look guys they just canonized boba fett yeah like, i think up until this point it wasn't known if he he had lived or died and they, in the Aftermath books, they never make an allusion to Boba Fett like, living, but definitely his armor was there. Mm-hmm. But this is them putting Boba Fett into canon again. And it would be interesting what they do with this character if they just leave him like I said, or if they run a comic book series. Like, there's, they can do a lot with this character. He's a very popular action figure, I can tell you that much. Troy can that, tell you that too. True. Oh
1: man, <laughs> unfortunately I, I can. But you know what, thinking about it, you know, when we're just talking about like, you know, why seek out Boba Fett, um, you know, for help with the Jedi's. But then just thinking about it, like, he's, he actually has like, tons, like, tons of experience yeah, with is. the Jedi's, right? Cause you go back to episode two, like, he witnessed Obi Wan fight his dad. He saw Mace take, take out his dad. Um, obviously, he's had his encounters with Luke, um, Clone Wars, Anakin, Obi Wan again. So, like, you know what? If we do see him pop up this season and he is the one to kind of help Mando, kind of makes a lot of sense kind yeah, of there, all there there's actually.
0: definitely something there and as you kind of elaborate on that it got me thinking mm-hmm. too about my initial question as to why seeking out mandalorian and mm-hmm. it could be just as so much that he doesn't have trust in the jedi because he's you know we we heard the armor talking about this war and maybe he wants to rely on the mandalorians to tell him the tales of that you know maybe. are these people to be trusted who do we trust and it's gonna be interesting to see how they expand on that, and I'm I I have full confidence that that question will be answered as to why why he went there first and why he's seeking Mandalorian yeah. to, to reunite the child with with its kind, and and so guys, this was a banger of an episode, and like we got two days until the next episode, mm-hmm. we can kick back, consume, and and just get into the Star Wars mode as we get through the next eight weeks of just what is going to just be pure joy i think like definitely this episode just hit the mark for me and it i've watched it three times <laughs> <That's
1: amazing. laughs> yeah. yeah like
0: i haven't watched any other episode of the mandalorian three times like this is three times in the first week i've watched this
1: yeah yeah i i i, I vouch for you man i'm the same way um three times for me too that's the most mandalorian i've ever watched back to back so yeah it's yeah. up there man it's huge that's yeah.
0: awesome. Yeah. So oh man guys, this was fantastic. A little bit longer of an episode, but we had some great topics to get through and some great, you know, great stories to talk about, guys. We just we just talked through Three Jokers and Mandalorian chapter nine in about two hours here. And <laughs> I think we could probably go on for another hour if we really wanted to here, but okay. it's late. We got, we got to get to, to the next topics next week and we got to, you know, sign off here guys. So let us know what you're getting up to in your weekend nerd. Let us know what you've been reading. Are you reading the three jokers? And let us know what you thought of the Mandalorian chapter nine. Did you love it as much as we did? I don't know how you couldn't, but it'd be interesting <laughs> to hear what you guys have to hear. What you guys have to say about all that? You know, you can always email us at the at gmail.com again, guys, next week, we're going to be likely tackling a, a question from grabs. Um, we've had some serious content to get through over these last couple of weeks. Um, but as we move into, we won't probably do as much coverage or as detailed coverage on The Mandalorian. Uh, chapter 10, we definitely will talk about it, but maybe not in as much depth and detail. Depends what's on the docket. But overall, guys, um, we've got another couple exciting weeks. We're already into November, we're winding down the year, and we've got a lot of key episodes to get through. Uh, before then, you know we're building into episode 250 before the end of the year. So very exciting milestone for us here in the Nerd Room, um, and lots to come every single Thursday. We've even got some bonus episodes on tap for you guys coming up here in the not too distant future. And to follow along with everything we do, hit us at nerdroom.net. You can follow us all on Twitter. Handles are at the end of the episode. We got some hunt picks up. I threw up some vintage and retro toy stuff there over the last couple of days over the Instagram. That's at the Nerd RM. So, again, we're going to see some stuff, and hopefully so get to see Carlos's shelves here once they're all set up. Maybe we'll pop up a few pictures here. Maybe not this weekend, but maybe next week. And we'll give him a week or so here um, to yeah. calm down from the, the hot toy crash. <laughs> <laughs> Curating. Curating. Yeah it's it's a beautiful thing i've had these shelves behind me for eight months and i'm still not done so <laughs> so and last but not least, guys big shout out to man rob wade for endorsing this podcast over emotionally14.com head over there to check out everything that he and all the other endorsed podcasts are doing now guys with all that being said another exciting week in nerd an exciting week coming up here enjoy the mandalorian chapter 10 and remember keep those spoilers to a minimum we want people to enjoy that enjoy those reveals people did fairly good um, and if you're, have some di- desire burning question to discuss with us, just DM us, um, just make sure we see in the episode, um, uh, before you get DM in here. So guys, until next week for the nerd room, I'm Tim. I'm Troy. I'm Batman. Oh, I was hoping he's going to say I'm the Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we'll talk to you next week. And thank you very much for entering the nerd room. This has been a Nerd Room podcast production. You can find our hosts Tim, Troy, Sanjay, and Carlos on Twitter at TheNerdRM, Troy the boy 87, Sunjabi, and CDN, Caped Crusade R. For more content from the Nerd Room, check out the nerdroom.net. And don't forget to subscribe to the Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you plug in. Use the hashtag #wethenerd to keep up with the latest from the Nerd Room on Instagram and Twitter.